Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. We're going to talk to David Locke coming up here momentarily, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. We'll ask him uh, some jazz questions, but uh, also want to ask him, of course, about uh, his thoughts on the finals, free agency, what's coming up, etc. Yes, all that. Uh, David's going to join us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Customers can get the fantastic iPhone X for 50% off with FlexLease. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Real quick, a question for you. What's the over-under on the fact that Gronk will unretire? This football season, I've seen conflicting reports on that. Yeah. Uh, where there, I saw that report today, where somebody close to the Patriots uh, said that he'll be back. Yeah, but see, Gronk is the type of dude that looks to me like he would enjoy retirement. <laughs> However, his his body is taking such a beating over his career. It wouldn't surprise me if he sat out for a while and said, then, "Hey, came, I feel pretty good." Yeah, came back when it actually mattered. Yeah. All right, let's get out to the zone phone. Joining us now, radio voice of the Utah Jazz and our good friend David Locke. Hi, David. Hello, I'll share a story with you that I think sums up uh, athlete retirement. All right. So a good friend of mine, this guy by the name of Dave Wyman. I don't know if anybody remembers him, but he was a middle linebacker for the Seahawks and the Broncos. He went to Stanford. He probably had about 11 knee surgeries and then got cut by Mike Shanahan in Denver, and that was the end of his career. And you would, and he has a Stanford degree. Like, if there's anyone who ever would have known, like, okay, like, it's done. So he was in a meeting. I've heard this secondhand um, from my wife who was in the meeting, and they were on the Seahawks broadcast staff at the time. And they were kind of going through that old Brett Favre story of should he retire, should he not. And Dave is this very kind of black and white person. Like it's either, you know, just cut, everything's cut and dry, middle linebacker, Stanford kind of. And the conversation's going back and forth what Favre should do. And Wyman says, hey, Life after football is no good. Everyone's like, okay, so that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> uh, but it's true, right? Like, you don't get cheered when you go pick up the cereal at the grocery store. Wouldn't that be great if you did, though? <laughs> Way to grab those frosted flakes. That was we amazing. Should. <laughs> we should. There should be some element. We all just get cheered for those basic things in life. I, mean, I, wonder, what it, I wonder what it would do to people. Be good for the self-esteem. That's great, right? Like, you know, I mean, truly what, I mean, not to get too deep and philosophical, the thing we don't cheer is anyone ever being nice. That's true. (laughs) Of course not. No, we really don't. Like, think about raising our kids. Like, oh, you, you know, you did well on your test. We give you congratulations. You get good grades. We give you congratulations. You do well in sports. We make a huge deal out of it. I'm guilty as anyone. You're like nice to the person next to you. Like, how often do you get cheered for that? You should be. I agree. We need a more positive world, more positive reinforcement. You're out raking the front yard, and somebody walks by, nice job. Well, not you, Gordon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. My kids go to a summer camp that I really believe in and, and love, and, and that's what actually I think the summer camp does. I think it rewards. It's a little less competitive environment. It takes away a lot of things, and what it does is it rewards niceness, and that's. And I've always thought it's a really special place because of that. 
David, the latest from Woj about the finals is that the Warriors would prefer that Clay Thompson sit out tonight and uh, rest for the rest of the series, but Clay is holding out hope that he's still going to be able to play. I it, that sounds not likely to me. Talk about t- tonight's matchup if Clay is not able to go. Well, first thing is Toronto's have to get it right. Like at some point, like you just have, they're missing three of their top six players. You got to go get the game. Um, even if three of their other top six players are great players of all time. I mean, we talked about the other day, Jake, when you were like, they don't have depth. I'm like, they got depth. They, like most teams, you know, fine. Their their seventh, eighth, and ninth guys aren't great, but their fourth, fifth, and sixth guys are better than anybody else. With fourth, fifth, and sixth guys in the league. <laughs> um, but at this point, if Clay doesn't go. You know, you you've got to get them, and then you you really can do kind of this crazy box and one style on staff. And the irony of all this is, Demarcus Cousins becomes just amazingly important to them because somebody's got to score. The thing I would be concerned the most about, if I was the Warriors, is the trickle down effect of this. You know, if Clay Thompson doesn't go, how many minutes does Andre Iguodala end up having to play? And then what's the lasting impact of that? And I think that's where things get really tricky for the Warriors here is do other guys get fatigued or injured or exposed in some way that they hadn't been otherwise? Yeah, I two two things about what you said in that uh, in what you said there, David. The first was that as I'm watching that last game, I'm thinking to myself, okay, the Raptors have a great opportunity here, and they they freaking could not grab the game by the throat when it was there for them to do so. And I I was surprised by that. I thought that they would be good enough to take care of that business when the opportunity was there. The second the second part was what Steph said afterward. He said, "Oh, my guys stepped up and took care of the business." And I was sitting there going, no, they didn't. Not really. Uh, That offense really struggled once Clay was out. Well, they scored, what, one field goal in the final five minutes of the game? Only Iguodala three, I think, was their only one. Um, I do think, and it's so cliche, but it's probably, you know, it's the same reason some stereotypes exist for a reason. Um, You know, it's the heart of the champion thing. And there's just... You know, whether it's – and the two plays that jump out to me on the heart of the champion are, the, are two Sean Livingston plays that have happened in this playoffs. There's the game five, I think it was, against Houston, where there's the kind of lofted pass that Eric Gordon probably should have intercepted and somehow Livingston gets it. And then there's the Udala three. But that the first part of that is Livingston gets a pass. That everyone, if you kind of look at, the, look at it, it looked like Kawhi Leonard should get it. And, you know, give the Warriors some credit here. They just – have either just enough experience in their back pocket or they've got a special makeup or Udala said, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm going to, I'm doing this for Steph's legacy because he's the best guy ever. Whatever the reason is, there's something taking place with the, the Warriors that reminds me a little bit about the heart of the champion of the Rockets used to always come back. And frankly, you know, you just knew you couldn't knock out the Bulls, right? Like there's no greater chance than having the ball in the left block of game six up by one in your own building with game seven, you're building and Scottie Pippen in traction in the locker room. Right. And yet Michael Jordan comes around the baseline and steals it from Carl Malone. So to some extent, I think it's all the exact same thing we've seen for 20 years, that there's just something different about championship level teams. Hmm. Gordon brought up something interesting the other day, David. Does the way that Kawhi Leonard, uh, the the way that he left San Antonio, does that affect how you view him now? Yeah, but evidently not for anyone else. Seriously. I mean, it's incredible. Dude, there's a real chance. We don't know, 
But there's, and maybe that's the key of what he did is he left so much doubt that you're not quite sure and media people are scared on how to talk about it. But there's a real chance that he just tapped out for an entire season because he didn't want to play for the Spurs anymore. Right? Yep. Like, we don't know what really happened. I'm not saying that is what happened, but that's in the re- in the list of things that took place. One of them is the dude got mad at San Antonio, just decided he wasn't playing for them anymore. That must scare the living daylights out of a lot of franchises out there that a guy can do that to him and get away with it. That bothers me, uh, David. I don't know what's true and what isn't, but it hangs over me every time I watch a guy play because I like him and I like the way he plays. What's not to like? I love it. But I still got that nagging feeling like something ain't right about this and it bugs me. Meanwhile, you got Clay Thompson who's over there saying, at least reportedly, that he wants to play and it's his team that's saying, no, you better back off for a game and let that heal up a little bit. Jake was the was the skeptic that pointed out to me that maybe that's all just a ruse. Oh, I think, no. I think on Clay, that the, if Woj has the story, so I always feel this about Woj. Woj is so connected and he's so great, but I always feel like anytime there's a story that comes out from Woj, someone wants it out. Right, people know they're going to Woj to give out stories now. Like he's reached that level as a reporter, Gordon. You've been there, right? You you get great stories, and you know, and then you also have to know that the person wants it out there. So the Warriors wanted that out for a reason today, which is I think that Clay Thompson's not playing, and they're trying to say they're trying to allow Clay to mean the only way they can get Clay to not play is to find a way to spin the narrative in a manner so that Clay can still maintain his you know warrior type. Um, persona that's now being built up. And I think that that's what he wants. You know, back to your point about Kawhi and I think is look at DeMar DeRozan. So if you're a player and you look at this, DeMar DeRozan was incredibly loyal to the Raptors. They were loyal back to him until the day they trade him for Kawhi Leonard, who may have been incredibly disloyal to a franchise. And so the, the, the reward you get for being – we always want our players to have all this loyalty and to the teams. And the reward that DeMar DeRozan got for his loyalty is he got traded to San Antonio. And the reward that Kawhi Leonard got for possibly being completely selfish and all out for himself is he got traded to Toronto and then he'll sign with whomever he wants in the offseason. So he got, right? like, he got what he wanted. He got and DeMar was he, the sacrifice. And DeMar didn't. Land. Right. And so we wonder why players don't show loyalty. Like, I seriously wonder a little bit on Boston this year. How much of their problems are at all related to the fact that every single one of those players knows Danny Ainge would move them? Hmm. That's an interesting thought. David Locke with us. So, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Sorry, David, I didn't mean to step on you. No, I don't have, I didn't have anything to add on that. Uh, yeah, David with us, uh, getting you ready for uh, Game 3 of the finals going down tonight. And also, David, loved to talk the offseason, and uh, Sham Sharania had a report that the Jazz would be interested in D'Angelo Russell. And then uh, today, or I guess it was yesterday, Stephen A. Smith yelled at us that uh, Kyrie Irving <laughs> going to the Nets is, uh, they're operating under the impression that that is absolutely happening. So what do you think about Sham's report about the Jazz interest in Russell and what would have to happen for that to be a, re- a reality? 
So two questions for you. So I've actually done this really interesting thing where I've turned off my notifications because I thought I could survive without it, and it's actually turning out to not be true. Um, it just means the story. Every single time I do an interview on the zone, there's a story that's happened that day that I don't know about. Um, so I'm going to have to turn my notifications back on. It really sucks, but I was kind of enjoying the period of time where I didn't get buzzed every 20 minutes when somebody reported something. Um so let me ask you this question because I think this is important. Okay. In what order did those two take place? Um, the uh, the Shams report on Russell was first. All right. Um, so that's interesting to me. Um, so the Shams report from Russell to me is an agent trying to create a market. I I guess we could be interested in D'Angelo. Um, I've been talking about it all year. I think he's one of the most interesting players. Um, he makes me analytically very nervous. Um, he is not a, um, efficient player. He goes to the rim a stunningly little amount and he shoots an even more stunningly little amount of free throws. And so for him to ever become an efficient player is going to be very, very difficult. He was clutch. He had a lot of big shots. He had a lot of sports center moments. Um, but I, uh, I'm, and I feel as though I loved him out of college. I thought he was an elite level passer who could see the game and do all sorts of things. And he is really a great pick and roll player and able to get himself looks. I mean, he does a lot of great things. Um, but there are some analytical things about him that are a bit nerve wracking to me. I, I've been flummoxed on him for much of the year. Anyone who's listened to Locked on Jazz has heard more about D'Angelo Russell this year because he was a player that analytically just can't work and yet watching him I always felt like there was another step to who he is and what he could do and, and you're always trying to find that player that has great talent that maybe is going to be able to get better. Um, I feel more comfortable that Tobias Harris has another step offensively to be an elite player for the next four years than I do D'Angelo Russell. Um, I've heard a lot of D'Angelo Russell the Phoenix with Devin Booker. Hmm. I saw somewhere there were the Vegas odds on uh, the Jazz getting Tobias Harris. What uh, Jake they had him about sixth or so yeah, as far as best likely. odds. Mm-hmm. I don't know what any of that means, David. Well, there's a lot of things that have to happen, and this is what gets you know. Let's just zero in on Tobias Harris, which seems to be my you know fantasy. Um, there's a lot of things. It's great to have a fantasy, and then you know using Austin Horton and, or was it, I think who said, you know, it's like me dating Halle Berry the other day. Um, this fantasy might be about as likely as Austin dating Halle Berry, because the first thing that has to happen is that Jimmy Butler has to stay. And then Tobias Harris has to decide, well, I don't want to be the fourth option. So now you have a timing issue there. Now maybe he, but I think if Tobias Harris can get the more money in five years and the third option with Simmons and Embiid, he might consider that. I don't really know that Philadelphia, my understanding is that Philadelphia is still on the board, though he didn't really like it um, there. The second thing that has to happen for the Jazz, it gets so complicated, is is that Favors' deadline is going to jump up on them in a hurry. And Derek Favors' guaranteed date, I believe, let me look at my notes, is the fifth. Neto is the sixth, and Corver is the seventh. So the Jazz have to have whatever they're going to do done by the fourth. And so if you're sixth on that list, you have to somehow, and he's your a priority. I don't know that he is a jazz priority. They may not think he's worth spending 30 some odd million dollars for um, his production value. Isn't, doesn't match that. 
Um, I think you have to somehow try to change the marketplace in your favor, which in timing, which is very difficult. And I don't really know how the Jazz can do that. So, I mean, to this whole point of like D'Angelo Russell depends on whether Kyrie Irving's going to Brooklyn, and then Jimmy but- Tobias Harris depends on whether Jimmy Butler's going to LA, and and you know everything else depends on something else. And maybe it's all going to happen in forty-eight hours or seventy-two hours, and it's happen so fast it doesn't matter. But by the time the Jazz get to the favors deadline. They cannot decide to not exercise the right to pick up a non-guaranteed contract unless they know they have something done. So the only scenario that I can think of that they can do is walk up to Tobias Harris and maybe Kemba Walker if, they, if those are their choices, or D'Angelo Russell, whoever their choices are. And D'Angelo Russell, I believe, is a restricted free agent, so that makes it even more difficult and unlikely because of the fact that um, – that you know he's gonna it takes time on him and, and I'll go back to the report from Shams in a second because I have another thought on that but so the way you have to do it I don't know how you do it I don't know how you can accelerate Tobias Harris and Kemba Walker to make a decision inside your timeline when you're not the first choice and so I think it makes it it's very very difficult for Dennis Justin and the crew to be able to get something of that magnitude done you know it's interesting how things play out the, the favors contract is really truly one of the you know best written smartest team contracts and yet at the same time it's still this incredible burden now it's a beautiful security blanket and that's what made it so brilliant um I think the Shams report is an agent trying to create a marketplace for a player worried about whether he has one um, as a restricted free agent and trying to get a team to pay for him. And the Jazz are the most obvious team to talk about with point cards. So, David, uh, to wrap it up, if you were a betting man, how would you bet on the Jazz making a, quote, significant move this offseason? Significant is hard. I mean, would would a combination of Jim Michael Green and Bojan Banjanovic be significant? Hmm. I like Bojan. Like, is that significant? I don't know if that's significant. Thaddeus Young and Terrence Ross significant? I'm not sure people would think that way. Okay, is Nikola Mirotic and Corey Joseph significant? See, I think these aren't necessarily significant right out uh, off the bat, but if it works, it certainly could be significant, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> right, I mean, I got to work. Like, I don't know the answer. Um, the one that's interesting, and I, I think this is so funny all the time, is everyone's like, well, we got to get some athletes. Okay, I just want to remind anyone, if an athlete can dribble or score or shoot, they're a star, not an athlete. <laughs> right? Like, find me an athlete that can shoot. Like, a really high-level athlete who can shoot. Who are they? They're all all-stars, right? Yep. So, when anyone wants, wants the athletes, I keep hearing around town, we got to get some athletes. Okay, so you want guys who can't shoot. <laughs> Or can't dribble or can't pass. One of the because that's what an athlete is. Because if an athlete can do those things, they're an all star. We got one. Well, you know, an all star would right? be nice too. <laughs> sure. Okay. Like that's, then just be honest. That's what you want. Like that's cool. I'm all up for that. That, that however, to your point, might be a little difficult to land. Right. 
A lot of people would just take somebody who could shoot. But then, like, one of the things is, like, if we had Boyan Banyanovic and Nikola Mirotic, we can shoot, and we are the slowest team in America. <laughs> Holy smokes. I gotta slow right? down, slow down your radio calls. Uh, <laughs> I'd be well. You're right. I mean, well, first of all, I have to be saying Bojanovic and Miritich correctly, but um, but I mean seriously, like we'd be. I mean, you know, just starting at that point is Donovan, Royce, Bojan Bojanovic, Nikola Miritich, and Rudy Gobert. That is not the most athletic team you've ever been around. <laughs> Joe Ingles coming off the bench. I just created. I don't know if that's the right call, but maybe Joe's playing the two just so we can get even more athletic. So then we're back to add an all-star. That sounds good. That sounds like right. good. Like, I think that's, <laughs> that's what I mean by significant. <laughs> I mean, I think there's an interesting moment here also, and I don't know the right moment here. I think this is the really interesting challenge for the front office. And that is at what Dennis's signature, at least in my opinion, I don't know what Dennis thinks his signature is, I guess I could probably ask him, has been, you know, really high value, value contracts, Production value. He always talks about production value over market value, right? Like, I do wonder, and maybe this is just the fan in me, if there's a moment in time where you just have to decide, all right, our production value says he's $22 million, but you know what? It's going to cost $31 million to get him, and we just got to go get players. And I, I feel like we're close to that, but I don't know if I feel like that because I'm just a fan. Or if I just feel like that's where Donovan and Rudy are in their progression and it's time. And that, you know, Tobias is probably not ever going to be an all-star in the NBA, though I think he has a chance. I I do think he's kind of the most untapped offense player in the league. Um, But he still might not ever be an all-star. And you're paying him $30 million, and that's insane. And it might be right. I uh, I think you are bang on with the latter scenario, David. I, I, I think you can trust yourself. You're thinking the right way. Yeah, I mean, I will really can always trust myself because my record will stay zero and zero forever, and <laughs> so I will be always right. <laughs> well, you're always right in my mind, too, David. We uh, always appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, you're the man. Thank you so much. Thanks, David. The easiest job in the world, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, David. Uh, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Want to remind you about our friends at the Ute Conference Football. They're introducing their new fall flag football league. Boys and girls ages 5 to 7 learn to play, love the game, have a great experience. Come play flag football. Sign up today at UteConferenceFootball.org. It's that easy, Gordon. You just find an athlete that can uh, shoot, pass, dribble, do it all. Ah. That's it. (laughs) That's what you need. How hard could it be? I mean, Kevin Durant can do it. Somebody else can too, right? (laughs) Sure. And if they can't do it now, they can learn it. All right. We'll have more straight ahead. Stay tuned. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone.